Welcome to Darker Days Radio Presents Dark Hammer, a Worlds of Warhammer podcast. I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I am joined, as always, by David. Hello, David. How's it going? Hey, Chris. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. This is going to be a fun one today, I think. Yeah, this is a, a deep dive episode. Uh, this is a thin slice through the 40k setting we'll be looking at, and we'll Necromunda. And to join us on this tour of the uh, Underhive and the and the, the Hive and the Ash Waste of that hellscape, uh, we are joined by Simon Berman, who is uh, heading up the Brushwilders Union. He's an ex-Privateer Press writer and community manager. Uh, he also heads up uh, Strix Publishing, who've done things such as pins and also published uh, a number of books. Uh, that includes some, oh, I can't remember which what the, the title of, but he'll tell us. So hello, Simon. Uh, welcome to Darkhammer. Um, how's it going? Uh, yeah, hey, how's it going, guys? Nice to talk to everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, chatting to you from the uh, heart of the COVID-19 outbreak in North America in uh, the greater Seattle-Tacoma area, so that's kind of interesting. It's crazy times, uh, and everyone, some people have jokingly posted up pictures of their stockpile of grey sprues to get them through a form of lockdown. Um, and yeah, um, people who may have been following the podcast for a while or haven't, um, you can go back to some classic episodes of uh, Darker Days Radio where Simon has been on the show before talking about either uh, the Iron Kingdoms RPG or has been talking about the Unhallowed Metropolis RPG, which is a post-apocalyptic neo, neo what was it neo-Victorian uh, gas mask punk uh, zombie post-apocalyptic setting, which is really cool. Um, and then Simon, with Strix Publishing, bookwise, you've published a few things that are Cthulhu related, and also some uh, a book of artwork, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've done, uh, let's see, I've done the Book of Starry Wisdom, which is a collection of uh, Lovecraft's stories about um, Cthulhu, uh, illustrated by Valerie Heron. Uh, and it's also accompanied by some notable authors in the horror uh, field. Uh, you may know Scott Glancy, for example, from his work on Delta Green. Um, that's out. I'm about to release the Book of Three Gates, which is a companion volume, uh, more Lovecraft stuff, this time focusing on the Dumbwich horror. Uh, that'll be out probably in April or May. Uh, I've, also done, I've done some occult art books. I've done Eliza Gager's Problem Glyphs, which uh, is a pretty interesting book uh, collecting her uh, sigil project. Um, mm. And I've done Apocrypha, The Art of Jason Souls, who is a sculptor. And you may know him, uh, if you're listening to this, as the lead developer on War Machine Hordes and I think now Warcaster. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Warcaster's coming out soon. Well, it's that, it's that Kickstarter currently. So that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a project he's... It's, it's interesting to see the evolution of... Um, rule systems from out of private press at that end. And then as I said, you, so Brushwilders Union, um, give us a brief overview of what that is and what spawned that. Yeah, uh, Brushwilders Union is kind of my, my project. I've been doing it for a little over a year now. Um, it's kind of a community for people who are interested in getting their miniatures painted to whatever standard uh, they prefer, whether that's, you know, just to get them on the tabletop or whether they're doing high-end competitive painting. Um, you know, I provide some tools in the form of a membership booklet every and uh, monthly letters and stamps to uh, kind of track your progress in painting, and uh, yeah, do some you know initiatives like we have a hobby pledge every year, stuff like that. And you can find out more about that at brushwildersunion.com. There's a to people so people can back you with that through Patreon and. 
depending upon what level they get access to other things, like exclusive access to the podcast, because you recently interviewed um, Duncan Rhodes, who used to be a Warhammer community painter who did loads of painting advice videos, um, and you've interviewed other people that are in uh, gaming, um, whether it's game design or miniature design or, or painting, etc. Yeah, I do a monthly podcast, and um, members get access to it a few days before the rest of the world does, um, among various other benefits. So, uh, yeah, I got to speak to Duncan last month. That was great. He's a really good guy. Um, talked to Jordan Lamb, who's the studio painter at Privateer Press these days, this month. Uh, yeah, I was trying to interview people who have you know interesting takes on the hobby or professionally working in the hobby. Cool. Right. Um, we're going to briefly cover a bit of games workshoppy related news that's interesting if people obviously like you know warhammer rpgs in any flavor uh obviously we've seen some stuff out from gamma which is the new seraphon book which is really interesting as we le go you know getting closer to soulbound being released uh we've got gaskell thracker and ragnar blackmane they've been announced as miniatures are in a new boxed kind of game-ish, you know, one of those small box game-ish things uh, called Saga of the Beast. Oh, I just had a look Prophecy at that. Prophecy of the Beast. The book is of the Beast. There we go. Uh, and um, obviously uh, at Gamma, um, uh, sorry, Cubicle 7 have just shown off uh, their first preview of the, the um, GM screen for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. That's looking really good and useful. But then with conventions, we're slowly ticking them all off, which have been cancelled due to Corona. So I think uh, you know things will be either be delayed uh, to later in the year, or they'll be cancelled outright. And at least some stuff that would be revealed at conventions will be revealed online. So stay tuned for that. Um, but our main focus for this evening is, of course, uh, Necromunda, the world that is blighted by pollution, toxic waste, and all manner of hive war within their spires. So we're going to move over to the main topic now. Okay, so... Necromunda. Um, so before we get into this, then um, let's do the quick thing, quick, quick Q and A. Uh, Simon, how did you get started in forty k, and what's your favorite Necromunda gang? Oh man, so how did you forty k exactly? It must have been around ninety three or ninety four. Um, a friend of mine, through a friend of a friend, I think he, he must have seen it or something. And you know, we, we checked out the local game shop, and you know, that was that was the end of my life essentially, right there. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I, I dabbled in 40K, but, you know, I was 13 or 14, so nothing too serious about anything, although I, I had plenty of unpainted miniatures at the time and, you know, some lots of badly painted ones as well. And uh, I think, I don't remember how we heard about Necromunda, but it must have been through White Dwarf, because that, that was about the only way you heard about anything back then. Um, but, you know, we, we saw it was coming out, it looked really cool, and uh, we somehow got ourselves a ride to a game shop somewhere in Connecticut. I don't, I don't remember where exactly. It was probably up by Danbury or something. I lived in New York back then. And... Um, <laughs> We uh, we went for release day and you know they were running demos and you know I, I my mind was blown and you know I, I had somehow scraped together enough money for the starter which you know was probably I think probably 
how much were the starters back then? 60, 80 bucks, something like that? Uh, yeah, over here, Necromunda retailed for 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> probably about $60. Oh, back in the cheap days. Get a yeah. unit in days. Although when you're 15, $60 seems like a lot of money, so. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I guess it's, it's, like, it's probably close to what, 80 bucks in, in you know, adjusted for, uh, for the time. And inflation, but uh, yeah, I, I got a we got a we got a box set, and uh, you know, I remember not. I think it was it was Goliath versus Orlocks in the original box, as I recall. And yep. yes, it was. I think I think I went with the Goliaths, but I, I wasn't super keen on either. Of them. I was I was I was very excited about the Escher and Delock, uh, which are, are still my my gangs of choice these days. Excellent, uh, David. What's your pick of Necromunda gangs? Oh, um, I might have to back Simon up on this one and say. Um... Escher and the lack as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot of sighs coming from there, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's also the Venator gangs I like quite a lot of, um, with the ability for them to kind of create a theme, yeah, of the gang, rather than just um, having your base ones. The Venators allow you then that, a little bit more freedom in creating the gang. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I remember, so I got into 40k when a friend picked up second edition 40k when it first released. Uh, and then Necromunda came out that before that Christmas, uh, whichever year was that. So I'm going to say 95. 95, me, yeah. Yeah, meaning um, originally I played using the Orlocks out of that, but then I kind of got sick of him. And I went hardcore into Spyro Hunters. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. no, you were that guy. I was that guy. <laughs> um, and they were they were good fun. Uh, so yeah, I like Spyros, but my my main love of uh, right now has to be has to be Van Sar. I like new Van Sar. They've got a lot more character. Um, and that's something we'll we'll get into uh, as we talk about the gangs and everything because I think we've had essentially two editions of Necromunda with kind of a 1.5 edition that occurred about 10 years ago maybe, maybe that uh, which was essentially just a reprint of the rules and and some uh, you know tarting up of it and a few editions but nothing not a wholesale overhaul that we now have so, um, as a brief introduction to people that don't know what Necromunda is, Necromunda is this uh, gang warfare uh, skirmish game that involves small numbers of miniatures, roughly anywhere between 8 to 10 or 15 models per side, uh, representing the warfare between rival gangs or clans or just generally not very nice people uh, within the hive city of Necromunda. Now, Necromunda does predate its original release. It turned up in White Dwarf, in issues of White Dwarf, around about 1990-1991. And back then, it was known as Confrontation. And it talked about the houses were known as clans. We had gangs. We had clan wars. We had brat gangs. Brat gangs were basically gangs of um, uphivers. We had tech gangs, scavies, nomads, and mutants, psychers. The whole, the whole host of things were there. And it's quite interesting when you go back and look at these things because those are now coming back into the main game. Whereas the original Necromunda release, we didn't really see as much of that type of stuff. Uh, and then when Necromunda first you know, properly turns up as a box game with card terrain, we've got a lot of stuff there. So we learn about how Necromunda predates the um, 
It's the Imperium. It was founded during the Dark Age technology. It was reclaimed by the Imperial Fists and now used on a recruiting ground. You have these hives. So who wants to give us a good overview of what a hive is? Simon or David, you can jump in on this and go to town on it. Not sure. I'll, I'll take my best shot at it. So, you know, I, I think the... Uh... The uh, the hive cities are sort of you know gigantic mega structures that are you know it's an entire city that's you know the size of a small continent essentially, um, or you know the size of a, a small island maybe even a large island um, you know that sort of reach up to the sky and they've been inhabited for millennia and you know they, they whatever they instead of you know fixing things they just build another level to it um, so you know it's got this sort of decaying underbelly and you know it, it's it's essentially a case system as well you know the rich people all live at the top and you know the uh, the poor scum all live at the bottom. Or if they're very unlucky, they live in the sublevels, which are you know full of mutants and scavies and all sorts of horrible things. Um, so yeah, I think it's got a lot of uh, Judge Dredd 2000 AD yeah. DNA in it too. I think that's for um, certain. It's yeah. it's really interesting because like I've been reading through more of it, and it's kind of to get an idea of it. Like Necromunda is either like a warren of tunnels and collapsed areas, or and I say tunnels and shafts and any form of pipes that you can crawl and clamber through. But then you also do have large areas called domes. And so the way to think of it is these domes have been built on top of each other, creating this kind of towering structure. And they've collapsed in on themselves as they build new ones on top. So you've got very large open spaces, which for a, for a, a hiver could be everything they ever experience of necromunda that is their world but obviously some people um try to move around and make a, a life for them elsewhere i also read like the structure of the hives is kind of interesting um that as they're built i think they're built in segments so you've got the towers are in segments that join up at the middle the main core of the the hive so that these there's gaps between these segments so that air and light can filter in. <laughs> Good luck on that being anything worth breathing, though, because um, I think fresh air is like you don't reach fresh air until you're like about a good mile or two up from from the ground level. Right, it's sort of a blasted wasteland at, at ground level, and you know it's it's totally uninhabitable once you go outside one of the hives. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, it, Necromunda is a really is is essentially like is our poster boy <laughs> for for hive worlds across the Imperium. So it's a world that's been strip mined. Pretty much every natural resource has been used up. They're now essentially recycling everything that's left over. Uh, the main hive also has coming out, going up through the middle, um, a heat sink. So these go down into the core of the world and bring heat up into the into the hive, and that's used for energy production. Uh, as I said, there's the ash waste, and I guess much of the surface of the world is like a warren of tunnels, which have been used for mining and deep shafts, uh, where there'll be um, potentially other kind of. Um, communities and and things built up uh and then necromunda is not necromunda hive primus is not the only hive so we've got a couple of other ones we've got the the palatine cluster which is where there's a few other smaller hives next door to hive primus hive secundus which 
fell to a gene silicone infestation and so has like massive fortifications around it where the planetary defense force keeps it locked down um, for want of a better term <laughs> given today's uh, situation. <laughs> uh, and then also there's another hive called the, the skull, which was, I think, leveled or infested by orcs or hit by an orc rock and has an orc yeah, I was looking this up earlier. It was an invasion, orc invasion, um, that happened. Um, so whether that it doesn't really say whether it was done by rock or by yeah. seeds or anything, but it's kind of cool what happened. Um, they had to send in the entire military, um, clean the whole thing out, and bombard yeah. it with lasers, and it kind of all fell apart. There's some really cool little background stories behind that. And um, so, what else was going to say about necromancy? Yes, yeah, so there's it's it's a shit. It's basically let's be honest, it's a shithole. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably and, worth mentioning that um, there's there's no agriculture really, and oh, uh, so the, there's the main very source of, as well. right. The, the main source of food is recycled corpses, which they, they you know they call corpse starch. Yes, and it's really it's, interesting how corpse starch is recycled because we I've, I've been chatting about this and i think we mentioned it on a show or two ago david that corpse starch has to be blessed for it to become food so it's kind of uh kind of like a weird kind of reflection of the holy communion you know in catholicism where the yeah. wafer becomes the the body of christ this is kind of like because it's been blessed by uh, a priest of the um, of the ecclesiarchy, this reclaimed protein from people is now food. Right, uh, it's, it's it's sort of an industrial scale blessing too. <laughs> yes, and yeah. we'll get into where this goes wrong later with regard to one of the gangs you can play, because that's where where this all where this all breaks down and and horrible it things also, begin to happen. Yeah, it sounds dark at the moment, but this this thing goes a lot darker. <laughs> it really does. Um, and then uh, other things with the world uh, to to get on and off the world with your whatever's brought onto the world, which would be food stuffs for the upper hive, or equipment or or resources that all has to come through a orbital space station that is in geosynchronous orbit with Hive Primus, known as the Eye of Selene, which is this. It's a really cool, like giant ring, and they, and then it has below, above it, and below it are some like orb, you know, floating citadels as well in the center, which provide power. And I was watching the Warhammer TV um, discussion about the new Goliath book, the um, House of Chains uh, book, and they talk about that there are Goliaths on the Eye of Selene, which makes sense Ooh. because all of the resources and cargo comes in and out through this place. But it talks about um, it. they were talking about these what they call docking cathedrals. So docking cathedrals are where spaceships dock. And these cathedrals there was, and, and um, who was it was saying this? They were saying that the the um, cargo ships that come in are like three t three times larger than the largest imperial battleship. Jeez, <laughs> right? That's in That's it's like nuts. Moon size. Yes, and there's 
what we might see in future is possibly game supplements about fighting on the Eye of Selene because there'll be areas where gravity gets turned on and off to move cargo around. And there are societies of of workers up there who have seen nothing else but this single environment, these giant cargo holds. And they're called cargo cultists because they believe they're doing the emperor's work, yeah, to bring <laughs> cargo on and off. And I was like, oh god, this is so insane. But it's great. Like zero G fighting would be really cool that to explore. Insane. I'm just imagining how much fun that can be. How mental something like that would be. Um, also, the other thing um, on uh, on Necromunda, there's like shanty towns outside the hive. There's ash waste. So if you really want to get into it and do some kind of pseudo Gorkamorka, I'm sure we'll see it with vehicles. We've got really cool genes of the cult vehicles and Goliath trucks that you can use for that type of thing in the in the main game. But for the RPG, you can explore that. And then there's also another hive called Temenos, which is the home is the home hive. For the ecclesiarchy on Necromunda. So yeah, it's a crazy, crazy world. Um, what other things jump out at you, or shall we get into society? I mean, who wants to jump in on talking about society in on Necromunda? Well, the society of Necromunda is kind of a it's a big topic, that one. So I'm guessing we're just gonna quickly go over all of this. So, um, like most Imperial worlds, um, they're kind of pretty much left to, it's been left to rule itself by the Imperial commander of that, of the planet. Um, what's his name? Lord Helmore. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of let it run a feudal system in a way. So there's tiers upon tiers upon tiers of people controlling the hive. So at the very, very top, you have um, Lord Helmore. Um, below that, you have the noble houses who compete politically to try and gain favours, um, gain more power um, politically. Um, they're all political rivals. We've got a couple of them listed here. So Helmore, Catalus, Ty, Ulanti, Graeme, Ranlow, and I'm going to guess you say Coiron? Yeah. Um, on there. Um, and they're kind of like your big power structures in there. Um, these are your rich high lords, noble houses. These are the ones who will get real food. They'll live in the top of the hives. The, their architecture will be very grandiose, golden, kind of just what you'd imagine um, from that. Underneath those, you have the guilds and you have the clans. Um, so the guilds, these are the kind of the business areas of the hive. So these are the people who control the trade and the the everyday kind of overall running. So the, you've got Promethean Guild who control the fuel and the flow of Promethean. Um, a water guild who control the water and water recycling, what little water there is. Um, the Electro Guild, these are obviously, they're quite nicely named. Uh, Electro Guild being Electricity. Corpse Guild. Uh, corpses for Corpse Arch. Um, soil and Green kind of stuff. Um, slave Guild. Um, they trade in the slaves. Um, with this being a hive world and a feudal system, slaving is okay. Um, then there's the Guild of Coin. These are more 
terrestrial trade routes, so moving goods between the actual hives themselves um, along these vast, huge um, kind of tunnel systems that uh, run across the surface of the planet. Um, the Air Guild, who um, try to provide clean air and air recycling. And then the Iron Guild, who run as middlemen between the mines and the forges um, of the lower lower hives. So yeah. they're your kind of two top tiers. that um, We don't really see much of them in the actual game yet, but we have seen hints of um, Water Guild and Promethean Guild from... Um, specialist games. Well, the slave uh, guild out. There's, yeah, I was going to say, uh, David, that yeah. the as Simon said, the slave guild has now models supporting House of Chains. Is that right, Simon? Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Well, they've had models since um, all the there've been rules for all of that since Book of Peril. That's uh, right. The models are just getting released now. So, slave guild came out alongside um, House of Chains, the Goliath book, and the models are really beautiful. Yeah, you can you can employ you can basically as gangers uh, you can look to gain favor from a guild and also ha gain fighters who represent the guilds. So there's a very high you know good narrative element within Necromunda, the skirmish mm -hmm. game, where you can have these guilders that you're working with you to secure uh, resources or you're protecting them. As they're leading a caravan through the through the uh, underhive and through the hive itself, so there's a lot of information now for these guys. It's quite um, it's uh, it's quite well developed, uh, but we've also got clans, uh, and so clans are a different beast entirely. And these are mainly the workers and. Uh, the one thing we didn't say about the the hives is that there there's a division between the upper hive, where the nobility and the guilds are allowed to return to, and um, and essentially any high society and major industry, a major high tech industry is allowed to exist, and then the the main hive itself, where workers and the population live. There's a there's a place called the wall, and the wall is strictly controlled in hives to limit who can go who can pass up and down between those levels and in the hive itself below below the wall are most people who make up the clans so we've got orlocks goliath cordor escher delac and van sar and in the hive itself there is not meant be any open warfare because that would be bad for uh, for um, production of arms, food, chemicals, vehicles, anything for the great war machine of the Imperium. Uh, so, Sam, do you want to just give us a brief overview of the clans? Because uh, I think you're quite well acquainted with these, just as I am. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's sort of six main uh, houses or clans. Um, these go back to the release of the original game in 95. Um, you've got your Orlock, uh, who are sort of, they're sort of almost your, your, your basic type of ganger, you know, their house Orlock is responsible for, or at least have acquired power over a lot of the manufacturing, um, or in the mining more specifically. Um, so they produce a lot of raw materials and they've got kind of a working class eighties, um, Springsteen kind of look to them, right? They, they kind of got like a, a, you know, a classic biker gang. Look, they got a lot of denim and all of that. Um, they're sort of your, your baseline gang. 
Uh, then you've got the Goliath, who they recently got their own book, uh, which is really impressive and really gave them a lot of depth. They're they're all they were uh, originally they're the newest of the houses, and they were um, actually uh, genetically engineered originally, and they're sort of an experiment that went wrong um, to to create the uh, the perfect uh, hive worker. Uh, but they uh, they gained some uh, freedom, and now they're devoted to enslaving everybody else. Uh, they do a lot of like the heavy manufacturing. They create a lot of the weapons that Necromunda exports for use in Imperial armies and so forth. Uh, you've got House Kaldor. Uh They're kind of the poorest of the clans or the houses. They're uh, a bunch of religious fundamentalists, essentially. They've, they've taken some interesting interpretations of the Imperial Creed and applied it to, uh, well, their own uh, gain. Um, they're sort of filthy mendicants. Uh, you've got House Escher, who are predominantly um, female. Uh, they have some; they're very involved in the creation of synthetic chemicals and um, poisons, toxins, things like that. Uh, they're one of my old favorite gangs. You've got House Delac, who are sort of the mysterious um, power broker gang. You know, they, they they're very interested in finding out secrets, and nobody knows a whole lot about them. And then you've got Van Sar, who are another uh, weapons manufacturer. And uh, they have uh, their technology is very good and better than most of the other clans because they've uh, acquired a corrupted STC pattern that uh, spits out very good quality stuff. But unfortunately, it also irradiates them all, so they all die very young and uh, sickly. Mm. And I, I think that covers the main six gangs. Yeah, they're, um, this edition's really pushed forward um, what we know about the houses and. And compared to original Necromunda, original Necromunda, the only thing that differentiated your gangs were the skills that they could access when you got experience. Whereas the 1.5, I'm going to call it, edition, made it so that each house, each gang type, had access to, to discounts on certain weaponry because it represented their fighting style. Whereas now in the new edition, we have all of that plus... Uh, most of the gangers all start off quite different, both in terms of their profiles, their starting equipment, uh, the things they can access, the things they can do in bonuses, in campaigns. There's a lot more information there. We've now got things like brutes, which are like huge uh, monsters or or abhumans that you can access, weaponry. Uh, It's got really, really deep, this edition, and uh, the new hardback books are really great, and I need to get hold of the House of Chains for exactly that reason. Um, there are also things like Fallen Houses. There's House Aranthus, which uh, I was reading through and totally forgot there's a Fallen House. So that's something which basically counts as an underhive gang because they've not been detailed yet, but I'm sure they will be. Uh, brat gangs, as I said, are kind of like these um, noble youths that can, that you know, that go, I guess, uh, slumming it in the hive uh, and enjoy a bit of gang warfare riding around apparently on jet bikes. That's how they were described back in the day. So if we see that type of thing, that'll be kind of crazy in um, in And then, as we said, most of the warfare between gangs doesn't take place in the hive itself because anything that would be detrimental to production would be bad so gangs so houses use gangs to do kind of a proxy war within the underhive so that's where it's a lawless area of the hive uh, just above the sump the sump being this pit of 
you know toxic chemicals that are deep below below the surface which the hive is constantly falling into uh and in the underhive we've got all manner of crazy things that you can come across as well as creatures that grow there like giant spiders with eyes that are like gemstones uh, we've got scavies which pretty much speaks for itself we haven't got, got those in the modern game but they're basically muties we've got rat skins who are people that have lived there for ages and ages and have their own religion and society they look for archaeotech and they can be hired to be scouts within the underhive We've got the Redemptionist Crusade, who again were in the original release, but they've not yet been put into the new game. It essentially represents the, as Simon was saying about House Cordor, they've got their interpretation of the Imperial Creed, which is completely crazy firebrands and cultists who go into the Underhive and try to convert people. Or if they don't get converted, they immolate them. Uh, we have Spiral Hunters, which represents uh, people from... Uh, the noble houses who are sent below the wall in these advanced battle suits um, to give a, a nod and a wink to where we understand these battle suits to come from. And it's a way of them to gain experience and become hardened to the, the, the greater world so that they can go back up hive and become you know, leaders of their, their noble houses. We've now got Ogryn slave gangs. So there's an Ogryn's uprising, which is described in House of Chains. And then we've got Gene Sealer cults, which makes sense. We've spoke, you know, the Gene Sealer infestation can occur and we get gangs of cultists who are psychically attached to the patriarchal uh, Gene Stealer creature, which leads them until... Uh, enough generations have passed and you've got enough uh, cultists that an uprising can, can happen, which of course creates the psychic beacon that brings the Tyranid uh, fleets. We've got Chaos Helot gangs, which kind of speaks for itself, which is gangs which are devoted to chaos in whichever flavor they want. And then we have Corpse Grunner gangs, which are a very particular cornate chaos gang. So, Simon, do you want to tell us about Corpse Grunner Gangs? Because you brought up Corpse Starch, so you can tell us about these guys a bit more. Yeah, this is one of the, uh, the juicy new additions to the uh, new additions to the edition. Um, the Corpse Grinders are, you know, they're, they're the workers who uh, work in the Corpse Starch facilities. And, uh, you know, all that exposure to blood and gore and occasionally murder um, has a habit of sometimes sort of... You know, I guess it, it it breaks through to the warp on some level, and they, they become, um, you know, infected by the influence of of corn. Although it's, it's worth noting that on Ekromunda, you know, because they're, they're all you know illiterate largely, and um, there's no education, and the Imperium doesn't tell people about the the the, the chaos powers, right? So nobody ever, nobody would ever refer to corn as corn. They all have lots of different names for it, like you know the the flayed god and things like that. Um, so the uh, the corpse grinders occasionally, you know. The, They'll sort of like reach a, a critical mass of, of unseemly influence from proximity to their their murderous work, and uh, they start you know getting ideas about you know maybe adding some more bodies to the pile. And uh, as time goes on, you know, for combined with the oppressive regime of Necromunda, um, there'll be these sort of slowly growing cult uprisings of, of corpse grinders. And usually these are put down quickly, but occasionally, I, I guess uh, in at least one case, an entire hive fell to a corpse grinder uprising. That was, uh, I think, eventually dealt with by, by an orbital bombardment. 
Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, the Corpus Grinding gra- uh, Gangs, I mean, it's typical that, um, as you said, like, I think they refer to Korn as the god of, of skin and or, or flesh and sinew or something like that. That sounds right, yeah. Um, and I think David, we explained on uh, another episode that, you know, it, it's covered in, like, um, in the Eisenhorn trilogy and yeah. uh, the further books that follow on from it. Uh, they mention, like, on one world, there's uh, the the pig god. Like, so it's this cult devoted to the slaughter of pigs. But it's actually, underneath it all, it is a cornate cult ready to blossom into wanting to eat the... Um, the long pig, the long spiced pig, which is yeah. a delicacy you should touch, but <laughs> but it's um it's it's interesting again when you look at then as you said like with Helot gangs they you you can talk about Nurgle and Zinch and Slanesh in all these various ways because they would not know about the gods in the same way that the Inquisition would because again most Imperial citizens away from the front lines, have never seen Chaos Space Marines. They're, they're, these are all myths. They're all boogeymen to keep people on, you know, in line, under control. So all of this this idea that you, know, you could be corrupted if you don't follow the ways of the Imperium is all just, to some people, just superstition, or at least just religious indoctrination. They don't know corn is a real thing. Uh, right, but I, I think one of the great things about that is that, you know, the, the course grinder gangs, they're becoming infected because they, they are following what they're supposed to do. You know, yes. they're, it, it, you know Necromunda is, is entirely powered by cannibalism. It's just sort of, you know, smoothed over with a veneer of calling it corpse starch. Um, but, you know, that, that, that very, you know, imperially legal mandated practice is precisely what's causing all of the problems. I think corpse rider gangs, they, they, they get a little bit ahead of themselves and they start eating it before it's processed. So that's where they start getting, um, you know, they, they're, they're therefore truly cannibals before the, so they eat it before the meat is, you know, I guess, sanctified and purified and becomes food. Assuming that even does anything, right? I mean, one, one of my things I love about Necromunda is, that, you know, it... it it shows just how decayed the Imperium is. Like, Necromunda is probably not a particularly, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Significant world. You know, I'm I'm sure these sort of things are happening to one degree or another on, you know, countless worlds across the Imperium, which is just completely decaying and falling apart. And, you know, all all of the the strictures and and things that sound cool in 40k about, you know, like like the Emperor's Truth and all that, it's all essentially nonsense, right? Like, like they've created this system that's, you know, causing all of their issues. Definitely. And um, I think this is where it's really useful um, at this stage with Wrath and Glory, because obviously we're getting the revised rulebook from Cubicle 7, um, is that the Necromunda setting is quite informative if you want to start detailing hive worlds on different areas of the Imperium. Like, depending upon where you are, they're going to have a different political setup. But it'll be very, it'll be similar, but it'll have its own nuances because of its own history, its own um, turmoil and war that it's had to endure. So, for for exist, for example, um, if we look at uh, the the, um, the 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 main focus of Wrath and Glory, the segment there, the the system there, with the world of Charybdis, which is a hive world, but it's an ocean world. 
So we've got hives on what little landmasses there are, which are slowly sinking into the ocean and the oceans are rising. So you've got some areas which are underwater and that adds a very different flavor to it, a different feel. But um, that world, fortunately, doesn't have to eat people because it harvests like tons and tons of algae and world fish and all these other strange things. So it, it represents a very different extreme to a hive work to, to Necromunda because it actually has food, it grows. Um, sure. The other interesting thing I've heard about, um, for example, with Charybdis is the idea that there are hives which are inverted because it's safer for the nobility to be at the very bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so you've got an inverted hive. Um, because all the main outside, but yeah, yeah, because all the main workforce is working the oceans fishing. wrong on the giant fishing ships and that that are at the the top of the surface. Uh, and an ocean planet, I can imagine, would have uh, entire gangs and and workforce devoted to harvesting like um, tritium and deuterium from the oceans to use in the plasma reactors of of starships so it'd be very interesting to know what kind of like the gang warfare and 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 the the the, the factories and the the society is on the hives on that world because we've only had a a sliver of information about what that world is like in um the yeah. book dark tides i think that's it but yeah it's crazy these worlds are completely mental um, and and the, the thin blue line <laughs> that we could say between complete chaos and and warfare is enforcers, which we've spoken about before on our previous episode, haven't we, David? Yeah, when we the the law and order. Um, this is kind of where we do actually kind of get to see them more in use um, throughout uh, the forty k universe. Like as you say. Most of 40k is a broad, broad spectrum, and Necromunda allows us nicely to kind of zoom in and actually see some of the citizenry what actually happens. And the enforcers, as we spoke about last week, are kind of like your um, uh, your police force. Um, so uh, what have we got? So yeah, they're kind of again, it's a zoom in. Um, they are a police force. They are not controlled by the Imperium. They are hired by um, most of the, the houses, uh, the noble houses. And, I think uh, they're actually in the control of Lord Helmore himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. they're, they're directly, yeah. But they, they serve that role, David, as in, like, you know, you, you were saying, yeah, like, they're, they're, their main role, I think we established, is enforcers are basically quell riots, and for the nobility, they they will perform the role of local police force in the sense yeah. that we understand because, you know, the fact that a gang kills another gang, who the hell gives a toss? But, yeah, you know, they'll just stop a, a mass riot happening or the, an actual full-on clan war from happening. Yeah. Right. And it, they actually, it, it's, it's sort of worth pointing out that, you know, the uh, enforcers are very much there to enforce the law. They have no interest in justice. Oh, exactly. Um, right. And, and, and also, you know, later. Right. Um, <laughs> As well, you know, it's it's also interesting to note that there, there are um, permitted quotients of gang violence, um, and when when they reach above that in a sector or a dome mm -hmm. or some such, that's when the enforcers are deployed because it, you know a certain amount of violence is expected and encouraged, but uh, you know, exactly. there, there are limits. It provided it's not inter interfering with production. 
yeah. the new the new term that I'm really happy to see, and this lends back into what we were talking on the last episode about law and order, is that you can imagine that there are enforcers. The enforcers that work the hives, they're pretty much your 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 they're just brutes essentially. They're not really out to do um, investigations. Whereas within the upper hive, yeah, within the, for the noble houses, you will have enforcers that do perform the role of investigators because they will look into murders that, that mm. occur between the houses because Lord Helmore wants to keep some balance of power and control. And so you're going to have, you do actually now have an enforcer role, which we've seen the preview of the new miniature for called a scrutinator. Yes. And yes. I love the idea of this, this enforcer that actually is looking into murders and and crime and the all the various bits of illegal trade that goes on which brings us into the 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 the, the criminal the really truly criminal element of necromunda which is things like cold traders which we spoke about before which they're basically trying to get around lord helmore's um customs duties <laughs> on necromunda Imperial imposters, which we spoke about before, which are people that try to fabricate identities that are actually nobility. Narco lords, which are illegal drug um, cartels. The Psy Syndicate, which are illegally shipping and moving around psychers when they should be shipped off to by the enforcers in black ships, given over to the um, Ordo, will be the Ordo Hereticus that takes the. Um, Psychers and Rogue Factoria, which is our um, which are our illegal manufacturer of arms and equipment that don't follow the sanctioned creation of things by the Adeptus Mechanicus. So again, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, and I can see David, you're you're highlighting something for me. What are forbidden cities uh, and narco lords? And I'm just looking it up in my book. Um, yeah, so Forbidden City is something that I was, I was reading about today on somewhere online, and um, this kind of brings us back to Cortoch in a way. Um, the the road links and the kind of the networks between the hives they they collapse every now and then, and there are hubs in there that have been sealed off um, for centuries. And Corpse Arch within this area has um, changed, shall we say? Yes. Yes, you're um, getting on to something which is really interesting here about what yeah. Lord Helmore shouldn't be doing. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, shall we go into this now or shall we go into it in a bit later? Go, go for it, go for it. This is cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I didn't know whether that fitted in here or if it's in elsewhere. Um, but it, yeah, Narco and kind of made me think about it. So yeah, the, um, these roadways and the plastic ways where they transport the, the goods between the hives um, they had stashes where they'd put um, corpses and corpse arch, or there'd be hubs and transport hubs. Um, so they weren't actual hives themselves. Um, but some of these collapsed, and the corpse arch within them changed over time, and it mutated into a vibrant green weird substance uh, called gast. Um, and uh, what they discovered when they found this is that it um, awakens psychic abilities in people. Um, and so some of these narco lords and some of the lords have opened up these travel hubs and turned them into vast production areas 
all this uh, drug called GAST, and they have made vast fortunes out of it. Um, and now these little hubs have turned into these vast underground empires um, where the architecture and the, the kind of opulence is taken from the idea of exactly what the noble houses have. So at the very top of the hives, you have grandiose um, noble houses. And at the very bottom, hidden in the ash waste underground, you also get kind of the same thing, but for a much darker reason. And yeah, so Gast. Um, yeah, as you say, Lord Helmont, Helmore um, is doing things he shouldn't be doing, really. Um, I don't know too much about this. I just know from the... Basically, he's basically so, shipping yeah. Gast off planet, and it's a, um illegal substance uh, in the Imperium, because as you said, it's essentially transmuted corpse starch that has turned into this psycho-reactive uh, food stuff, which the nobility love because they're decadent, um, degenerate fools. Uh, but it's highly dangerous because obviously it can awaken psychic powers. Uh, but yeah, he's shipping it off-world and making making mint off it. He's making bank. And uh, if the... I would I would assume if, if the Adeptus Arbites found out, um, they would uh, try to remove him from power... But I'm sure that's a harder task than it than it mm. sounds, and that again gets into the difference between enforcers, which are a local police force that he controls, and the Adeptus Arbites, which are a you know dealing with crime and and illegal things and people not following imperial rule over sectors and across the Imperium itself. Yeah, I, I assume if if he gets caught doing this, then um. It will be just more. I think it'd be more, more than uh, the arbites they'd have to worry about. Um, yeah, He's he's clearly been getting away with it for you know literal centuries though. So you know, yeah, probably he has a lot of people helping him out at this point. He's mostly got various adept arbites in his back pocket. He's, no he's you know, it's it's Necromunda is a Byzantine. Uh, Byzantine network of bribery, corruption, murder, and and various other horrible things going on. Right. Uh, the gas the, the gas trade is actually um, well, it's illegal. It's actually protected on Necromunda. You know, if you, if you harvest gas and you aren't part of Helmore's own operations, you'll get killed for yeah. it. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. Exactly that as well. So it's so it's really again. It just it just shows that you know Necromunda as a as a setting as a as a really deep slice through what is a broad setting of the 40k universe mm. is got tons of information which you can take and repurpose and so either you could run a game of wrath and glory set on necromunda or you can take things to inspire you about how you would set up hive worlds on other locations and i think there's some there's a the new black library crime series for Warhammer, so Warhammer Crime has some new books and audio books coming out, which are set on another hive world, which will give you an insight into how that place operates, we'll learn about the, the gangs and the clans and the whatnot that exists there, so we're really we're slowly learning about different hive worlds elsewhere, like there's also Vigilus um, which is a hive yep. world uh, which is prominent within the 40k setting Armageddon um, is a hive world. Armageddon is a hive world as well. Yeah, that's um, 
got its own issues. Uh, there'll be hive worlds more than likely detailed in the old um, in the old books for um, the old 40k yeah. RPG books. Dark uh, yeah. So if we're to play Wrath and Glory in Necromunda, what tools, what character class type things do we have that we can make use of? Uh, so, Dave, what what are the obvious things that you know character groups that we can build and make use of? Yeah. So the, the obvious is if you want to, um, especially if you want to run it straight into Necromunda, you've got gangers. So you've got your basic scum, desperado, street rats who have all kind of banded together into a gang and maybe the gang's been hired by a local guild or something. Um, you know, protect their, their caravan as it goes along or they need to go and steal back something that's been stolen from someone else. And this is very, very low-level tier one kind of stuff. Um, these are just your base humans. They don't have many weapons. Most of the weapons they will get probably won't work. Um, so that's kind of at the very base level. And you could transfer that across to any hive world in a way. Yeah. Um, going you up could, from that. Um, I was gonna say you can you can you can use um you can basically play also quite a sandbox RPG with yeah. gangers. And you could easily uh, theme them to each of the houses. Uh, Desperado is a tier two uh, character class, so I think that's mostly better a class that you best use to represent um, Venator gangs and you know scum and mercenaries. Uh, I think that's where I would go with that. Yeah. Um, so you dropped out there on me a second. I was just saying about Desperados being for, for mercenaries and venators. Um, also, um, Simon, in, I think, was it in, it's in Book of, I want to say, it's, is it Book of Ruin or Book of Judgment? We also get insight into, um, like, rogue no rogue nobility or fallen nobility in the Underhive. So that'd be quite a cool character class to play in, a, in, a, in an RPG set in the Underhive. Yeah, they uh, they haven't gotten too far into the detail, but you know there there are some people who you know may maybe the uh, descendants of you know formerly um, powerful houses, or in some cases people who just you know claim they are running around in the underhive, you know trying to sort of cement insurrection to uh, regain what they think is their rightful place in the hive. That ties in with uh, a, a particular dramatic um, personae. Um... Uh, a character that you can hire into your gangs in Necromunda, which is Cal Jericho, because isn't he like the son of Lord Helmore or something like that? Something like that. You know, I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not super up on my Cal Jericho story. Oh, I think I've read that, and um, I think you're right too. I th Cal Jericho is a really interesting character because we first saw Cal Jericho, I think, in Inquisitor, right? Inquisitor, yeah, it was. Um, yeah. That was a beautiful model. Yeah. Um, uh, he's a son, yeah, he is the son of uh, Helmore, um, yeah. and someone called Helena Jericho. Uh, I think she's a rogue trader. Just, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so he's, he, yeah, so Cal Jericho is an interesting, so, um, he's a he's bounty hunter as well, brilliant. Yeah, and he's sure. got a, he's got a mutey sidekick called Scabs. Uh, who's a scavy. Yeah. So again, that's character classes you can play quite easily in Wrath and Glory, is you can play uh, you can play scavies, you can play mutants. 
Uh, and you can also play in forces. Uh, in for uh, I believe in Dark Tides, they explain that in forces are essentially just the ganger class. You've just got better armor and better weapons, which is, is mm. easily represented by Wrath and Glory in that sense. Um, and then what other character classes would we want to explore the Underhive with? Well, the another good one is uh, Inquisitors. They probably have quite a lot of interest in uh, certain things that happen down there. Finding um, ancient technologies, um, drugs, maybe tracking down some of the chaos cultists around there. Um, so yeah, Inquisitors do have a, a nice nice lead into it um so the we i ran the wrath and glory story at dragon meat which we had which was the uh an inquisitor's retinue so the inquisitor itself wasn't down there but we had the retinue had gone down and they had to kind of rescue um somebody uh there's a story i've forgotten kind of really what happened in it but it's on the blog post somewhere um, had to, they had to rescue like a, a, a tech, an archeo tech like Archeo-tech. hunter. So rogue um, thinking machine, and so yeah. So inquisitor, yeah. you can either have an inquisitor go in, into the hive itself and, and maybe hunt out a really insidious corpse. When cult is actually kind of getting beyond its like, its need and is trying to call in a demon, or you can have um, like we did with the the dragon meat show you can have the inquisitor's retinue just go in and keep it as a little bit of a lower tier um the retinue can have all sorts of things so tech priests you can have it can hire gangers um you've also got the inquisitorial adepts and acolytes in the book um sanctioned psychers all these people would work for inquisitors um and the psychers are a good one as well with the the introduction of ghast as well have are they picking up picking up on it? Is it kind of um, making one of the hives a little bit too ha- have too many psychers turn up and you bring in some potential psychers to hunt out these rogue psychers? Um, what else have we got? Um, I think I think we've covered most of the main points. I mean, you can have tech priests and inquisitors down there. Uh, you- you could also traders, and you could possibly look at, um, you possibly look at like scenarios taking place on the Eye of Selene, and so you could have some plots involving a rogue trader, and again the gas trade, or involving Heros Goliath and slavers. Yep. And I've just I've just realised something. You could do some some really fun things with is. Because of what happened in the skull, was was the orc infestation fully cleared out? Are there still orcs there? It sort of hinted that there might still be some, yeah. Um, and that could be quite entertaining. Um, playing a, an orc group as they're trying to escape the skull hive, or picking <laughs> up new tech and making weird stuff. That could be quite good fun. Um. Simon, anything that comes to mind that you you would think would be a fun kind of uh, adventuring party that you could form that 
where Necromunda or Hive City comes to mind? Oh, I mean, you know, for Necromunda, I, I think it'd be a blast to, you know, make a, uh, you know, an adventure party, you know, members of one gang. I think they have just a lot of fun just doing that and, you know, uh, sort of exploring missions and so forth for your gang and kind of getting that more personal take from the, the tabletop. I think there's also probably good opportunities to, you know, mix the two if you wanted to, you know, do your sort of investigative uh, role-playing based stuff and then, you know, occasionally whip out the Necromunda mod. And, you know, actually have a play a game of Necromunda to, to resolve a combat. Mm. Well, that would be cool. You could do it with um, Battlestone Fortress as well, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Those, that stuff all works well, pretty well together. Yeah, Blackstone Fortress has got some really good miniatures that support ideas in Necromunda, so uh, yeah. it's a good resource as well. But, yeah, it's. I think the point is for people that want to run, they could quite easily run a campaign of Wrath and Glory that takes place in just one hive with yeah. Necromunda being the example or they could use it as a port of call in their journeys across a world or across a sector or or beyond and you could you could quite happily play a inquisitorial cadre that has has to come to Necromunda and picks up a new a new member of their group, so you could imagine an inquisitor employs. Oh, I need a new a new gunsmith. I'll I'll employ this this Vansar, uh, to, uh, you know, gunsmith who's comes along with some pretty good equipment. Uh, yeah. Or or maybe he decides he. Uh, I would say maybe a more let's just say maybe a more zealous, maybe a more zealous member of Ordo uh, Hereticus brings into his cadre a member from House Cordor. Uh, that yeah. is more than plausible. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that you can, again, quite easily play uh, games where you play, look at a story from different angles, where in, on the one, at the one initial step, you play as um, a gang, a ganger, or you know, as all gangers, and then a, a later mm. part, of the st a later story in that campaign, you're playing just as um, investigators and enforcers, or that may well possibly involve a space marine as part of that cadre. Uh, so you can really, you know, you can really make use of the hive setting in lots of different ways. Any final thoughts on why Necromunda is awesome for role play in general? Oh, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's my favorite part of the 40k setting. You know, it, it's yeah. um, it's all the weirdest stuff. You know, it's all the the real gritty details of what living in the 40k world would really be like. Um, and you know, speaking personally, you know, being an American uh, whose mother is English, and I grew up on a fair amount of British sci-fi and literature and stuff. You know, I, I there's a certain level of exoticism to the British take on dystopia and I find that really appealing and weird and you know uh, like I said it, it probably sounds weird to call it exotic but it, it is a little bit when you're coming from the US and I just that stuff's just really fun to explore yeah it, it's 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 part of it's kind of like one of the big games and it's part of the 40k universe on the large scale but it's really good because it allows you to you say, you're saying something it allows you to kind of look more into people and how life really really works for anybody other than the militarum and the space marines and things so you kind of you get a better slice of the universe in a way so you can kind of see how stories would fit 
with the people rather than the grand schemes of space marine chapters fighting chaos or um, invading alien Xenos and things. So it brings you kind of into a lower level, um, but that much broader aspect of what life is in the 40k. I think that's that's something we've said numerous times is that it's very easy to look at the 40k universe for the role play aspect and go oh you're just always on the front lines and yeah. a lot of what we know about 40k you know whether it's battles against orcs whether it's against tyranids whether it's against the black crusades and chaos space Marines and so forth that's all at the the very i would say edges of the Imperium, there are plenty of worlds that are far from all of that, where this is all myth, legend, and superstition, and and really their day to day life is a grind in these in places that are these horrific hives, or or mm. things that are kind of similar to hives. You can imagine there might be some worlds which are hive like, but haven't got to the point that Necromunda's got to yet so that our hives maybe i don't know maybe a good ten thousand years behind in development uh because there's kind of some really crazy hives that again i think are in the first eisenhorn trilogy in the first book of the eisenhorn trilogy there's a world where they've got like the entire populace goes into like um deep freeze yeah the yeah. deep freeze yes all the rich lords and things, they, they, they freeze themselves for a hundred years or so every now and then, don't they? Um, that was a weird, kind of, weird world. You can get kind of crazy with your hive worlds um, yeah. in various ways. So think of Necromunda as kind of your typical hive world, maybe. I don't know how to call this typical, but it's the one that we know <laughs> very well. Um, right, with that, I think we've covered everything about Necromunda and given people a good overview and introduction. Obviously, if they want more information, the all the books out for Necromunda are excellent and rich with ideas and character ideas. There are so many different characters. I'm painting up uh, Grendel Grendelson quite soon. Uh, because oh, yeah, I did him badass. back in January myself. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, look into those books. They're, they're ripe for information, even if you don't want to play the uh, don't play the the skirmish game. Um, yeah. But to finish up, uh, so if people want to get in contact with us and they have ideas for what they want Dark Hammer to cover next, uh, we can be contacted via email darkdaysradio@gmail.com on Instagram at darkdays. Radio, Twitter at Darker Days Radio, Facebook, we've got a Facebook group. From the show notes for this episode, you can get through to our Discord group where we talk about World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, and Warhammer RPGs. Uh, we have a WordPress where we all see images and blog posts, battle reports, and so forth, and about events we're attending. And that covers most of the stuff. If people want to check out your painting, David, that's on Facebook, which is Rising Sun Painting. Studio, painting studio? Yes, I think that's right. I forget now. Um, but yeah, Rising Sun Painting Studio. Um, I occasionally paint. Yeah, and Simon, they can find all your stuff, as you said, Brushwood Orders, Union, which they can find the Patreon, and there's a website for? Yeah, you've got brushwordersunion.com. Excellent. And is there any other interesting stuff they should follow of your content at all, Simon? Oh, I mean, I think that's most of the gaming stuff these days, but, you know, you're welcome to check out my weird books at uh, Strix, S-T-R-I-X, publishing.com. 
and I am sure if they are in if if listeners are in the the neighborhood as well when things the lockdown is over and things are much better for people um you also do some stuff at um like a alternative kind of um stall is that right that you you you're involved in sometimes oh yeah i run i run a, if you're in the seattle area uh we run black owl market uh which is a uh sort of arts and crafts fair for people who make interesting stuff and we uh, we curate the vendors pretty carefully so we'll be back in the fall for that excellent okay there you go that's that was the cool thing gotcha <laughs> yeah. right um and that is everything for this episode so again thank you simon for coming on and talking about necromunda uh and at some point oh, we should grab you again to talk about another bit of the 40k universe or other part of the warhammer worlds that you love and want to froth about and about why it's great for role-playing and uh david thank you for again co-hosting and that is everything so thank you for listening and good night